In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. The gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life Changing Talk Radio 105.1 FM. WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams, and I'm Director of Ministry Relations for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Folks, it is great to have you back this week. We are excited as we continue a conversation from last week. Um, Just to welcome everybody back as we finish up our our two-week discussion, if you will, on racial healing. As we shared last week, we have been having a solution-based discussion. And folks, if you have not heard the first part of this, you really need to go to One Heart DC and and listen to it again, um, just to just to get just to get things going for you, and so you, that you understand fully what we've been discussing. But this solution-based discussion, where um, we look at the church leading the way in bringing reconciliation into this very important area of our lives and to lift our, our nation and our area out of this mess that we're in. And so we want to continue that today. So, of course, you know the drill. Um, to introduce our guest for the day is my good friend, my co-host of Good News for the City, Pastor Brian Bale, Senior Pastor of Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn, Virginia. Great to see you again, bud. Thanks, Dennis. I'm glad that we're going to continue this conversation today. And and even when this show is done today, it is a continual conversation. This is a journey, not a amen. destination. I think amen, one of the amen. things that uh, could be easy to fall into this idea is that we can have a couple conversations. We can all tie a pretty little bow around this and walk away and say our Christmas gift wrapping is done. Uh, in no way, shape, or form is that what we're trying to imply here good news for the city. And I know uh, that we're on the same page with both our guests that we have back today, Pastor Anthony E. Moore. Uh, and the Reverend Dr. Kendrick E. Curry. Welcome back, gentlemen. Uh, Glad to have you both again uh, for this second part of our conversation together. If you've not uh, heard our previous installment, I do encourage you to go and to listen, but don't do it now. Don't do it now. If you're on podcast, you can go do it now. But if you're listening live on the radio, listen to this and then then go back and hear the previous podcast because both Pastor Moore and Reverend Curry had a lot of great things to say uh, that are going to lead and spur this conversation we're about to have. As a reminder, Pastor Moore is a senior pastor of Carolina Missionary Baptist Church. He's served there since 1987, and you can find out more about him and the ministry he serves at at carolinachurch.org. That's carolinachurch.org. Uh, and Reverend Curry has led the Pennsylvania Avenue Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. for the last 16 years, and you can find out more about him and his ministry by going to PABC. Dash DC. PABC stands for Pennsylvania Avenue Baptist Church dash DC dot org. Well, gentlemen, let's just hop straight back into it if we can. Uh, when we think about, and I'll go to you, uh, Pastor Moore, again, first uh, this uh, hour of our discussion, we think about some of the shifts that need to happen in the church's approach. And when I use the church, I'm talking about the big C church. We have local churches. I pastor a local church, Christian Fellowship. Pastor Moore, you, you pastor Carolina Church. Uh, but when we think about the big C church, when it comes to this uh, issue of racial healing and the reconciliation that needs to, to be done, what 
do you believe are must for the churches need to be doing in order to lead the way on this issue? Yeah, I think the, the, the church ought to be leading the way, as my colleague, Dr. Kerry, has so eloquently stated in our first segment in terms of um, repentance. Um, who knows repentance better than the, than the church? And so yeah. um, we certainly understand what God is requiring of us and what's needed. And I think the church gives us an opportunity to be to be real about what is um, currently um, going forth. Unfortunately, though, uh, in the church, um, especially among our white brothers and sisters, there is a level of um, of being uncomfortable having to be confronted with and speak to the issues of um, racism. Um, I, I don't think that we can even get away from it, even in the church, because we, when we look at it, we, we still are dealing with the whole idea of race, religion, and racism, and it still has to be um, dealt with. Now, it requires us to do an evaluation, and that evaluation is not something that is, um, is very pretty. Um, if we're going to face the situation as it is, um, we've got to evaluate the condition, the state of our um, country and certainly of humanity. If, in fact, we are the Margot Day um, created in the very image of God and that there is only one race and that is the human race, then we have to ask the question, then why is there so much classism and sexism and racism within even the body of Christ. And so the church has got to be at the forefront of this fight. We've got to be at the forefront. We've got to lead forth with honest dialogue. That dialogue that needs to come forth, I think, needs to start with the body of Christ, um, being willing to acknowledge, to embrace, to accept and certainly then to repent and do everything possible to renounce what has happened while at the same time making um, the necessary steps to repair. That's a biblical principle that certainly the church is um, bound to lift before this world. The world should not be giving unto us and should not be leading the way in this. This ought to be the church doing what is right and what God has called us to. Reverend Curry. <clears throat> thank, thank you for the question. You know, in order to heal, uh, it, it, as I, I said in the, the, the last episode, you know, we have to deal with repentance. We have to deal with the renunciation. We have to deal with reparation, which is the whole idea of repairing the breach, pulling these things apart. And what that really starts to look like, if you will, a, a pictorial view of a preferred future would really start to give you an understanding of people coming together, perhaps even in small groups, small groups to have a unique sense of dialogue. And I would call it dialogue across difference. I participated in some groups like that. They are table fellowships, just like we find in scripture. And we create a safe space within the church where literally we can begin to have some deep dialogues and we can allay some of the white fragility. That's the fears. That's the unwillingness to participate. That's those things that want to push folk to the margin. And then we can also 
deal with those things that, quite frankly, many African-Americans or black folk or brown folk will not say in front of white people for fear of reprisal or some other sorts of thing. So now after creating the safe space and coming together as a table fellowship, understanding that Imago Day that we're all created in the image and likeness of God and that we have dignity, worth, and value, then we are better able to provide a means and a platform for conversation about reconciliation. But one of the things that's going to be requisite in all of this is that people have to come with agendas checked at the door. They have to be willing to come and be open and honest and true. If Jesus said that he who the Son sets free is free indeed, we need to come looking for the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. But what that looks like is coming to have a dialogue around a table together where we can see each other stay in our our squirmish nature and deal with the struggle that we're dealing with and imagine Jesus sitting in the midst in that safe space with us. And, and may I jump in and say also, um, my colleague, I, I, he's, he's absolutely correct. We, we can't do anything without honest evaluation, conversation, and there being a level of honesty had within that conversation. We can't, we can't go anywhere. So we start talking about um, evaluation. You know, that's, I, I think you all, we have to deal with the fact of acknowledging privilege. Yeah. I, we hang my hat right there for a moment. Yeah. We've got to acknowledge privilege. We have to acknowledge that. The inability to, to acknowledge one's privilege makes it difficult to acknowledge another's pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you just the, the inability to see your privilege will hinder your ability to relate with my plight and the injustices that have been levied against people of color on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis within this country. The inability to see you, white privilege can make you close your eyes to the unjust practices that perpetuate inequalities and mistreatment in America among races. I mean, we can go down the line. I mean, just redlining, police brutality, disproportionate harsh sentence um, within the criminal justice system. We can just go all the way down the line. I meant um, um, even um, high interest loans, you name it, banking. There's so many issues. But until we can have those kind of honest conversations, then what happens for me is that these kind of conversations are difficult to have with our white brothers and sisters, they become defensive. It makes them uncomfortable. And when they become uncomfortable, they become defensive. And then we can't get to the level of solution. We have to press beyond that. Y'all, the hard work starts with us becoming face-to-face with what the realities are, acknowledging them. Amen. If we can do that, then we can start pressing towards, okay, now that we're there, we've got a, a great bit of this done. What do we do now? What are the solutions? Now we can work together as a team to bring about the necessary changes. But until we sit down and look at this and evaluate this together and come away with the same conclusions, um, we're going to be forever turning around in circles here. 
Yeah, and can I can I just jump in here? And I, I love that because the evaluation is critical and it, it is an evaluation of white privilege. But one of the things that folk don't understand is the degree to which white privilege is pervasive in 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 extant culture. And and what we're what you're contending with, if you really want to bring people to the table, you have to be willing to bring everything to the table. For example, there are some microaggressions. I I don't even want to deal with the the challenges right now with police brutality and all of that, because those are all on the list. And I can deal with the discrimination and banking and everything else. But just the microaggressions is when you see me, you identify my black body as something that is criminal and dangerous. Right. And until we can understand that and have to have a a white person or those of other colors recognize that I have to teach my son to put his hands on the dashboard of driving a car when the police are there and say, officer, my wallet is in my pocket Mm -hmm. until a white person experiences that from their own, from my own perspective, and, and we are able to bring that together, the conversation starts to get diffuse. Yeah. And, and it's not something that, that really starts to bring us together. So we, we need to really get it at privilege and fragility at that level. There's so much that both of you said there that is great. Not the, uh, a couple of highlights. One is just this idea that reconciliation doesn't happen without lack of comfort. The very reconciliation that brought us back into relationship with God was at the discomfort and all the uncomfortable and the difficult things that happened to Jesus. Uh, And I think certainly uh, we've fallen in, especially in uh, the Western church, specifically in the white part of the Western church. We we take this idea of discomfort and we think it's something that needs to be avoided instead of it can be something that absolutely Jesus uses for the purpose of making us more like him. You know, and the other thing that uh, Reverend Curry reminded of in Pastor Moore, uh, a friend of mine, a pastoral friend that was on staff and then we brought him on staff. We, we did several conversations at our church and Christian fellowship around racism, those sort of things. And one of the one of the eye opening things for me um, as, uh, as as a white pastor was one time when we just had a group of very diverse people out there. And we just asked how many people here who taught their kids who drive how to respond to a police officer. Uh, and when we looked across and watched people hand, every single person who was of color raised their hand, black or brown. The only people that raised their hand that were white like me were people who were in law enforcement. That was it. You know, I recently, confession, Dennis, got, got pulled over uh, for uh, running a red light. And I did. I, there was no fakeness about it. I ran the red light. And I realized when I was pulled over to the side, I had my 13-year-old daughter. And I'd never had the conversation with my own daughter. She had a backpack on her lap and she had her hands under the, under her backpack while the police officer was coming. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need. And I had to have a whole discussion to her. Why was even something that someone would be concerned that her hands weren't where she could see them? You know, I mean, those are those are such great examples for things. I think if you're hearing this and you've never even taught your kids how to respond to when a police officer pulls you over, it says you are living in a place that African-Americans and most people of color don't live. And don't have the freedom to do that. Uh, but I'm preaching for not you guys. You guys know that. But And, and I, I'll just jump in. And that is, for African-Americans, that is a high-stress situation. Yeah. If you've never been in it, it's yeah. something that is, is stressful. I, I can't tell you. If you, put your, if you don't put your hand, you could literally lose your life. 
right. over nonsense. Yeah. And the and tragedy is, as was mentioned in the first episode, the tactics that are used not only with the gun, but with the body against another body is, right. is horrific. Isn't it interesting that you can have hangings in California and at the same time have a neck have a knee on the neck of George Floyd, which both compressed the neck. And we're not even talking about that which is trying to choke the life out of a person and think that is normal. Yeah. Right. How, so how, how for, could we ever deal with that and not have those conversations? So for Pastor Moore, for those people who are, who are, who are like, all right, I'm not going to run away from this uncomfortable dialogue. I'm going to embrace it. This is what Jesus is asking me. This is what I should do as a follower of Christ made in the Mago day, someone Jesus died for, and they want to continue this. How would you encourage them to continue this dialogue in their sphere of influence, even if for some reason or another, their circle isn't the most diverse or their circle is, you know, not really welcome to that conversation? So, so what I would say to them is a couple of things. One, two, um, as I talked about in terms of relations, you got to make a special effort, a deliberate effort to develop authentic relationships with a black person or a person of color. Um, um, it's just, it has to happen. Um, not so you can help that particular person, but that they can help you develop a more realistic um, awareness and understanding to what it's like for them to be black or to be a person of color in America today. I think they ought to allow them to mentor um, the white brothers and sisters in a journey of listening, a a journey of um, learning and leaning into what it feels like um, to know um, how it feels to live in this country as an African-American still 400 years later, you can still be treated like a lesser citizen just because of your color of your skin. I think we ought to, they ought to allow themselves to, um, to, to look, listen and learn, look at the surroundings, look at the family structure, listen to the pain, hear our perspective without judging us for, the, uh, for our perspective. Um, uh, th- there has to be a sense of literally learning from us what it's like to be an African-American in this particular country. Now, I want to just cite this real quickly. Um, outside of um, relations, I think that they ought to participate too, but let me just do this. Um, in Tulsa, there were two young men on their way to school. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. Um, and they were harassed by a police officer. You would never believe what for. Here it is, jaywalking. Mind you, there is no sidewalk anywhere in this community. Boys are on their way to school. They, they get handcuffed, thrown first thrown to the ground, handcuffed, thrown in a car, unable to, um, to, to call their parents, and, um, and, um, uh, and they're charged with jaywalking. I mean, I, I'm, I'm blown away by it all the time as, as a person of color, watching how there is the difference um, that we have to, I have two boys, two boys and a, and a, and a girl. And, and, and I, every time my, my boys leave to go out, I pray over them. God keep them, you know, because 
it, it just is no telling. And so I don't, I don't think that my white brothers and sisters understand what it's like to be African-American or person of color living in America. So they've got to develop relationship. But I also believe this, um, Brian, they've got to also participate in um, areas where we fight injustices against people of color. They've got to use their strength, their influence, their knowledge, their access, their resources to make a difference in this fight against injustice. They've got to look different um, at persons and hear the message and, and receive the challenge that's coming. And so if I could get them to participate in the fight for and get them to develop relationships with, I can believe that somehow or another they'll walk away just maybe with a different perspective. And so that for me are just the tangible things um, that I think we ought to start with to kind of help my white brothers and sisters start to see things a little differently. And Reverend Curry, one of the things that Pastor Moore just said of all the wonderful things he just said is you know, sort of a goal, uh, walk away with a different perspective. And some people are wired to think, give me what it looks like, paint, paint a picture on the wall or put a bullseye on the wall that I could shoot for, so to speak, with the, with the arrow of my life to say, this is what it looks like to, I don't like the term arrive, but to be better at this issue. Uh, where is there that we need to go? Kind of paint that picture. And if we got a couple minutes left, I want to make sure that people get what, what you're pushing to. So what I, w- what I would push to is something that would encourage those that are really interested in in transformation to look at a literate, well-read understanding of the Black context and the Black plight. That there has to be some educational component. But more specifically, I'm thinking of action learning. There needs to be a time when those who are really desirous of understanding do actually case studies like the aforementioned one by Pastor Moore, where he talked about what happened in Tulsa. You need to sit in those seats where others are. And that needs to happen in small groups initially, where you can have some level of interaction that is intimate, that then allows you to go into larger circles. Because what we're trying to do is build up insight, wisdom, and knowledge so that people will begin to understand what the real plight of of Black people are. Mm -hmm. And then as we go from there, we will then be able to further participate in a wider spectrum and engage folk that to, into a, a, a sphere that allows them to grow and to prosper. This is going to take baby steps is what I'm saying. Yeah. And it, it's going to take folk that are intentional in their actions. It's going to take relationships with black folk. And it's also going to take an understanding of context Context, context with case study, case study, case study. Yeah. And that, that does include the study of scripture. We're going to have to reimagine what your Bible studies look like. We're going to have to reimagine what your cultural understanding is. And when that's said and done, now you have a bigger picture of not just people that are in relationship with each other, but people who are actually building community together. 
As uh, in this final minute or so, Pastor Moore, one of the things that uh, we love to do on the show is is to make sure that as as we are we are commissioning them out to live out the good news for those uh, who need to hear a word of encouragement. I think there's some people out there that certainly need to hear a word of encouragement in this moment. That they are fatigued, they are hurt, they are rightfully angry, they're weighed down at the reality of the world that they're living in. Uh, speak a moment of hope, if you would, for them. Sure. Um, let me let me say this. Dr. Carey, I think, is absolutely onto something with this level of intimacy and small groups. It's got to start there. And um, I would say to persons as a, a means of hope is, listen, um, take the baby steps that will ultimately get you to where it is you're trying to get to. Now, any movement in the right direction is progress. Yeah. yeah. And that's my hope. It's, and there is progress being made if we can do that. We shall breathe again. And um, God is ultimately still in control. Amen. And thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Dennis, as the scripture says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And as we step into that good work, he will complete it, right? Amen. Amen. I've just been, uh, I've been enthralled. I've been so interested. I'm, uh, I'm, gosh, I don't even know what to say to you guys. It was fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us. You've done an amazing job. Folks, if you want to contact Dr. Curry, you can go to P-A-B-C dash D-C dot O-R-G. P-A-B-C dash D-C dot O-R-G. And Pastor Moore, uh, carolinachurch.org. That's carolinachurch.org. If you want to listen to this again to both of these podcasts, um, you can go to goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com or wava.com. Put in the keyword good news. Look under our podcast page and you can get that. And once again, if you need more information, you can always give me a call at the station, 703-807-2266. Thank you both. God bless you all. We'll see you again next week. And remember, folks, it's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703 807-2266 703-807-2266 and remember it's the gospel that makes a way